what I find is like romantic life stuff and body image stuff. Not surprisingly, because women are socialized to believe that their main value and accomplishments in life are how they look. Yeah. And particularly, and if men like them. Yes. Right? right. And so like that shit goes so deep. Mm-hmm. It takes so much work to undo it. And like two weeks of love in yourself, <laughs> like it's not gonna. <laughs> Some Pinterest memes. Yeah. It doesn't solve it. No. And you really like when you dig really deep, it's like, always that you want this thing because you think that then you'll finally feel good enough and you have to feel good enough first. Yes. This is your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 297 with guest Cara Lowenthal. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you are here. Today's guest is going to knock your socks off. Kara is here. I've been looking forward to introducing you to her if you don't know about her already. But before I get into that, is anybody else loving that fall is coming I love fall. And it's probably because now I live in a place where we have a fall. And I feel similarly about this season as I do about spring. If you've been listening to the podcast long enough, you know how I feel about spring, that I want to petition to have spring be the new new year. I just feel like it's such a beautiful new beginning. I feel that way similarly towards fall, but it's kind of in the air now that we've headed into September. It just feels like new beginnings. So speaking of... I have one or two spots open this fall for VIP days. If anybody wants to hang out with me in person, you could either come here to the beautiful state of North Carolina, or I can come to you. These are great for people who are, let's say you read my second book, How to Stop Feeling Like Shit, and you're like, I get it. I resonate with so many of those chapters, but I don't know how to implement a lot of these things in my life. We can work on that. Or maybe you're a coach and you're like, Andrea, how the heck did you build this business? I want to build this coaching business, get it off the ground, do whatever it is that you want to do, your version of success. We can do that too. So head on over to yourkickasslife.com slash VIP. There's also other options to work with me privately, but I'm not doing any group programs this fall or even into the new year as I am writing this book baby. So if you want to work with me, the VIP route is the way to go or private coaching. There's other options for that as well. All right. As I mentioned, Kara is here. And hey, next week we have another coaching episode, which I'm really excited about. But at any rate, today, Kara Lowenthal is here. So if you have never heard of this woman, let me tell you a little bit about her. Cara Lowenthal is a master certified coach with a BA from Yale and a JD from Harvard Law. In the last three years, she has pivoted her law career into a life coaching business. She's the host of the iTunes top-rated self-help podcast, Unfuck Your Brain, and has been featured in outlets like The Man Repeller, Above the Law, and The Huffington Post. So without further ado, here is Cara. Cara, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am too. And I I chuckle in my mind a little bit every time. I just need to say this out loud for you and for everybody. Every time I do my opening, my hello, it it feel it's so my podcast voice. <laughs> <laughs> my profesh podcast voice. 
But even so, I am truly excited to be here. You and I have been sort of dancing around each other on social media and, and getting to know each other. And have such <laughs> We've been flirting. We have been flirting from afar. Wink, wink. Yes. We have such similar <laughs> sense of humor and personality. So I knew I had to have you on the show. And let's kick it off and talk about your wheelhouse, which is mm-hmm. helping women manage your thoughts. That's kind of the nitty gritty of it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would say what I do is help women get the patriarchy out of their brains. I love that even more. So, yeah. <laughs> well, tell us about tell. Let's start there. Actually, tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So, I used to be. I've been a professional feminist my whole life, in one form or another. And I used to be a lawyer, so I was like reproductive rights lawyer, and then an academic, and then became a life coach. And what I've sort of discovered by combining my feminist theory background and my life coaching background is that, you know there's this gap so many women experience between what they intellectually understand, which is like society tells me to feel bad about my body or like, you know, women get paid less than men and that's unfair. We have these intellectual beliefs, but then personally our brains are like, yeah, but you could still stand to lose 10 pounds. Right. That's the, that's the answer to all your problems. Maybe you're not actually that good at your job though. Mm -hmm. Right. So like we have those thoughts and I think that there's this conflict there and what the piece that I think people are missing is, and women don't understand, is that the reason you're having those thoughts about yourself is not because they also just happen to be true. It's because your brain has absorbed all of the social messaging about women. And then it's almost like a synthesis, it like spits them back out in your own voice. Mm-hmm. And so they just seem to be true. You're like, well, if I'm thinking that, it must be true. Right, we it's like we've understood intellectually that we get these negative messages. We understand we have self-critical thoughts, but we haven't understood the mechanism between them. And the mechanism between them is your brain. And so I teach women how to undo that process and learn how to think about themselves the way they want to on purpose and literally rewire their thought patterns so that they are not speaking to themselves. It's almost like we're like ventriloquists, yeah. you know, <laughs> like dummies, like, and so they're not just like speaking the voice of the patriarchy to themselves and they actually can decide how they want to think and feel on purpose. Well, let's take, let's take a step back even farther. So for, and I'm envisioning that there are a few people listening who are either don't quite connect the dots or even are a little bit skeptical that the reason that women talk, you know, that we have inner critics and that we um, feel not good enough a lot of the times is a direct result of the patriarchy. So can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah, totally. So I think it's two things, right? All humans have evolutionary biology at play in their brains, right? And so obviously men or people of any gender identification experience like anxiety and fear and their brains want them to stay in the cave and not get eaten by lions, right? Right. Like we have a lot of all of that. But I think that women are just anybody who's marginalized in any way, like people who are different sizes or different shapes or different races or genders or whatever, who aren't the mainstream, quote unquote, Like, think about it this way, right? If you look at magazines every day, your whole Mm -hmm. life, or TV shows, or listen to music, and everybody is constantly looks the same, yeah, right? They're, like, thin and tall and white and able-bodied. And then, like, occasionally there's a person who looks like you, and they're always, like, the butt of a joke or, like, the funny friend who doesn't get to Mm -hmm. find love or feeling bad about their shape, right, (laughs) or whatever it is. You are absorbing this idea that, there's a certain way to look and that those people get the good stuff in life, like the fan, you know, the good job and the partners and the whatever. And people who look like you don't and aren't normal and aren't part of the mainstream and aren't desirable and whatever else, right? So we're surrounded by social messaging. I mean, when you think about it, like let's think about where do thoughts come from, 
right? Babies learn language. Mm-hmm. We're not born speaking, right? So obviously we are taught by everything around us how to think and communicate. And so it's unavoidable that whatever society you're growing up in, whatever the messages are, they're going to get into your brain and you're going to think differently. For instance, there are societies where, like historically societies where there hasn't been enough food to go around, being fat was considered beautiful. So it was hard to obtain and a marker of social status. Today, there's tons of food to go around where we live and being thin is considered beautiful, right? So it's sort of direct evidence that what society teaches us ends up in our brains. Like people think, no, that's just what I think is pretty, mm-hmm. right? It's just natural, but it's not natural because it differs in different societies that have different beliefs. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah, it does. And as you were saying that, I had this sort of dreadful aha moment with my daughter who's nine because I'm, I try to be mindful of what she's consuming in terms of her media. And mm-hmm. which is difficult when you go to the grocery store, like you were saying, like right. all the covers of the magazines look a certain Everywhere. way and shouting yeah, at her about beauty and thinness and, and whiteness. And what I just realized as you were talking, I was thinking about, cause she has her favorite YouTubers. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're all very thin white girls between like right. 14 and 20. Even the one, she likes this one who's, who's this Asian woman and even she is blonde though. I don't know. I think she wears wigs, like lavender wigs. And she's, you can definitely (laughs) see the whiteness in all of that. And just in that she likes the ones that are like the families and they're doing funny things and the children are, it's very like J crew catalog, all of the YouTube channels that she's watching. and, And I'm just realizing it right now. So there's that. Yeah. So that's a perfect example, right? And it's just so ever present and all around us. Plus a lot of us don't, you know, a lot of us grew up with parents who maybe weren't as conscious or careful about it as it sounds like you're trying to be. So we got those messages really directly at home, yeah. right? I mean, a lot of people had parents that were like, don't, you know, you need to lose weight or being thin is important or, oh, you look good because you've had the stomach flu and lost a few pounds, Thanks. right? Mm-hmm. Like, so some of it is social and then some of it you get real directly. Yes, which I think that could be an entire podcast conversation oh. in and of itself. But let's sort of slightly switch gears here and kind of turn yeah. the corner because one of the things we talk about a lot over here is the inner critic and, and how to kind of manage your mind and uh, do your best to be aware and, and all of these steps. But I love having people on who teach this differently than I do so people can get a new perspective because I think you just can never have too many tools to figure out which one works best for you. So you you say that... It's, 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 and I totally agree with this. Like you can't just suddenly like be nicer to yourself. And I think that many women hear that advice. It's just sort of like, um, almost like a self-help cliche and they're mm-hmm. like, feel wor- worse about themselves because they totally. can't do it. So how do you, how do you, how do you talk to this? Yeah. With people just, I mean, what I say with my, see with my clients is they just absorb it into their perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, now I'm not pretty and bad at my job and I'm bad at feeling good about myself. And I suck at personal <laughs> development. Yes. Right. It's just, you can't win. Oh, can't win. Yeah. So there's two approach kind of, I have two main ways that I work, work with that or I recommend people work on it. Number one is just noticing that your brain will think, your brain thinks about everything the same way, right? You do one thing the way you do everything. So you're, oh, if you know that you're self-critical, but then you just believe your self-critical thoughts about your self-development, Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There's a disconnect there. Like you can look at your thoughts about your own self-development or thought work and apply the same kind of skeptical lens that you are trying to work on applying to your thoughts about your body or your career or whatever else. So that's like the meta 
point. But what I really work a lot on is neutral baby step thoughts because one of the reasons that people think they're bad at self-development is that I believe they haven't been taught a method that actually takes you step by step in changing your thoughts. They've been taught either they it's a lot of like vague, like high vibe manifesting and they don't know what that is or how to do it. Or it's a lot of like just repeat positive affirmations. And Ugh. you know, the way, yeah, exactly. And the way neural rewiring works, listen, if you are really willing to repeat a thought you don't believe a hundred times a day for like 10 months, I do think eventually that would work. Mm-hmm. But who the fuck is that kind of time? Who, I, that's what I was just going to say. Like, who has time for that? Well, and you'll just give up. Yeah. I mean, practicing baby step thoughts also takes time. But the point is like you get a payoff. Whereas when you try to believe a thought you don't believe, you're not going to keep doing it. So what I teach are, sometimes I call them baby step thoughts or ladder thoughts or neutral thoughts, but they're really moving like one tiny increment Mm -hmm. on the thought. So for example, if you're, since we've been talking a lot about body image, like if your thought now is my stomach is disgusting and you have that thought every time you see your stomach, so that's like 300 times a day, right? Going straight to my stomach is a beautiful goddess (laughs) where you don't believe it's not going to feel good. And so a neutral step would be like, this is a human stomach. Now it doesn't, what I always say is like, you're not going to find that cross-stitched on a pillow on Etsy. It doesn't sound, it's not inspirational. It wouldn't look good on Instagram. Right, exactly. But it actually works, unlike all the rest Mm -hmm. of that shit. So if you just think about it, if you replace the 300 times a day you're thinking my stomach is disgusting with thinking 300 times a day, that is a human stomach, it's already less charged. Yes. Right? And you work your way up baby step to baby step. And actually the fun part is that often after a couple of baby steps, your brain gets the message and then it just kind of like takes you to the positive one. Like you don't have to go through 17 steps usually, but you do have to start with like one, two, three baby steps. You can't just jump to the top. Okay. We basically, we teach the same thing. We just explain it differently. (laughs) I love it. This is not a new lesson for I was like kind of hoping it would be something like I've never heard before because I just, I, I eat that up, but no, I am also happy that it's, it's the same thing because it's, it's Mm evidence-based. This is what works y'all. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious about, I, cause I, I love you and I don't have the same training and Mm-hmm. And and I love the whole concept of thought work and I, I know bits and pieces of it. Can you explain with sort of like a side tangent, what about people who have experienced trauma? So that might be maybe somebody who grew up in a family where, where they were just constantly criticized since they were a child around the way that their body looks or, or something like that. How do you, how do you address that? It's works the same way. So, you know, I think it's a complicated topic because one thing that's just going on linguistically in our culture right now is that we are calling a lot of things trauma yeah. that are not necessarily clinical trauma. And even clinicians will disagree about what's clinical trauma, right? Mm-hmm. So outside of like the extremes, like, like I personally did grow up with a lot of criticism about my body, but I don't call that trauma mm-hmm. and I don't experience it as traumatic. So even the, even believing that what you've experienced is trauma or is traumatic is an optional thought. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't believe that. Yeah. Like you totally, if you like the results you're getting with believing that, if it feels empowering to you in some way, right? That's why thought work is so personal, Mm -hmm. right? For some people thinking that was traumatic or that was trauma actually feels empowering because it like 
distances them from it a little yes. bit. And for some people, it feels totally disempowering. That's so that's interesting. Sort of- that's sort of like if you the conversation around, like, say, abortion. There are some women who have had abortions who really it was not that big of a deal for them. And some or and same with miscarriage. And it it can yeah. it can people can handle it all different ways. But here's what I how I define trauma. And I don't know if I heard this somewhere along the way or if I just freaking made it up. But the way I think of trauma is anything that happens to you where you at the moment do not have the coping skills to be able to process it and then kind of close the circle around it and move forward. But see, I think that describes a lot of human experience because most people don't have any coping skills. Right. And that's why I write books. (laughs) (laughs) So I just feel like if that's trauma, like a lot of people are being traumatized by like a first date that doesn't text them back. Yeah. But anyway, whether like whatever kind of trauma you have, whether it's the first date that doesn't text you back or childhood criticism or like you were in a war, right? Mm -hmm. Like whatever it is. The trauma is you are still, you're continuing to recreate the trauma with your thoughts now. So like, this is something I've studied and I've talked to trauma experts about and I feel really solid about. Obviously, you know, people who believe that they need to get specialized trauma therapy should totally do that. Um, but this is like the lawyer, the old lawyer in me always needs to be like, disclaimer, I'm not, uh, not a national certified trauma expert. You are, your thoughts, your recurring repetitive thoughts about the trauma are recreating the emotional experience for you. Mm-hmm. And so you can still change your thoughts now about the thing that happened in the past. The, the place that I don't love the trauma discourse is that I don't like anything that takes a certain kind of thought and like mystifies it such that we somehow think like we can't own it. So what do you mean by or that? Like makes it control. apart too much? Like over? No, like makes it like this thing that is beyond our control. Oh, okay. Like, oh, it's a trauma response. I see. So therefore, like, we don't know why it's happening and we can't control it. And it's like mysterious. And, you know, or people will come and say like, well, this, you know, it's like calling something a wound or calling it. It's just anything that makes us, our brains do this to us. Like, I think that they take certain parts of our experience that we don't know how to deal with or where we're lacking the tools and they sort of try to make them like, untouchable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we just can't it sounds like you're really good at sort of like taking control of whatever pain the person, whatever suffering that they're having. And I, I hesitate to say, but fix it. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't, you know, I think human life has, is negative and positive emotion, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not trying to get to like, oh, you'll never feel negative emotion again. But um, certainly like bringing down the you know, there is the trauma response in the body, which is caused by the thoughts. Right. And so like learning how to reduce that is probably going to improve your quality of life. Yes. You know, I also think that part of what goes on with trauma and repetitive thoughts is a lot like what goes on with non-trauma repetitive thoughts, which is just, right. So like I've had clients who didn't have trauma, but they had a problem with, you know, like an intrusive repetitive thought pattern where, they, you know, often it goes along with like an OCD diagnosis or something like that, where they like yeah. can't stop thinking about mm-hmm. something. Obsessive. Yeah. Or it's like intrusive thoughts. Like it seems to come out of nowhere and it's like constant or, you know, and a lot of the problem with those thoughts is our reaction to them. And the same with trauma thoughts, right? Like if we are scared of our own thoughts and physical emotional experiences and we're not willing to have them and we think they mean something bad, it makes them a hundred times worse. Yes. Boo. Oh my gosh. I love this conversation. Okay. 
I also want to ask you about, you have a concept that you refer to, because I know a lot of my listeners really struggle with self-confidence and, and insecurity. And I did a podcast episode not too long ago about how, what my beliefs are around people really starting to, to gain self-confidence. And you have a concept that you call believing harder. So talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. What is that? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a second level concept. So it's like actually not what I recommend. What I recommend for people who are having a lot of trouble believing themselves is a hundred percent like neutral baby step thoughts. Um, but I think that believing harder comes in. Here's how you tell if in my world, here's how you tell if you believe a thought, you think the thought, and if you feel any change in your body, like a tiny bit of relief, a tiny bit of loosening, a tiny bit of anything, that means you believe it. Mm -hmm. And believing harder means then you have to practice believing that. And that's true whether it's a neutral thought or an amazing positive thought. You have to practice believing it over and over. So when a client comes back to me and they're like, oh, that thought worked for a while, but it stopped working. I'm like, no, no, no. (laughs) You stopped working. Yeah. Right? You stopped practicing it. You were like, I said it 10 times. I thought it was done. Mm -hmm. It's not done. Right? So believing harder, I think for me, really means like, you're com- being committed to the principle that your thoughts can change and you can believe a new thing. And what that produces in your action is brainstorming new thoughts and practicing them over and over again. But not like, it's like we want our thoughts. I mean, this is like human life with everything. We want our, our romantic partners, our jobs, our thoughts. We want everything else to like deliver the feelings to us. <laughs> right? Yes. And like our thoughts also, we're like, well, I found this good new thought. I don't know why it's not working and it hasn't changed my life. Mm-hmm. And this, like, like no. right the second. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, it's your job. That yeah. thought is just there for you to love it and think it. And that's what's going to change your life. Like, you have to do the believing harder. That thought is not magic. That's what magic you practice, but it's not magic if you don't practice. Exactly. I, I talk about that a lot too. And, and I noticed that when I don't do it anymore, but for, gosh, I probably ran it five times, I think I did this seven day challenge. And it was all around the inner critic. And, you know, and I had this step-by-step process, which is really similar to yours. And I would get so many people that would come into the Facebook group and be like, all right, I had my mantra. It's it's basically a neutral thought. And I, I had some negative self-talk and I tried the mantra today. And then later on that day, I had more negative self-talk. And then they're looking at me like, what the fuck, Andrea? And, I was and like, you're like, welcome to being a human. Right, exactly. Like the way I, the analogy I, I use is like, you're learning a new language. I always, totally, always, exactly. I took like seven or eight years of Spanish between all of middle school, high school and college. Yeah. And because I never practice it, now all I can say is me gusta los toca discos, which is not helpful to anyone. <laughs> Nobody even has a record. I don't player. even know what that means. It means I like record players. <laughs> Not comes in handy a lot. You're like, I don't know how to ask where the bathroom is or get breakfast. But <laughs> well, and it just, it's about practicing. Like you have to immerse right. yourself in it. And if you fall off the wagon and you don't practice, then get back up. But it really truly is a commitment. Like it took you a long ass time to get here to where you are with all of your thought patterns. It's going to take a minute to have a new totally. way of thinking. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, the good news is it's not going to take as long to change it as it took to develop it. True story. Like, that's amazing. What if it took 35 years to change a thought? It would still be worth it, but that'd be a long time. That would be, you'd be in it for the long haul. Yeah, but you know, it doesn't take that long, but you do, like the metaphor I like to use is if you, if you're right-handed and you decide to try to start writing with your left hand, Okay. right? Mm -hmm. You would do it while you were paying attention to it. Then you would like go get a snack. And then when you came back, you didn't automatically pick the pen up with your right hand. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean that like the whole project has gone wrong and it won't work and you should give up. Yeah. Which, right? which happens. Just, mm-hmm. just the automatic default. Of course you went back to that, right? It's muscle memory. 
you have to keep practicing. Like, nope, we're not doing that. Put that pen down, pick up the next one. Don't throw in the towel, people. No. And where people really go wrong is they think like – this kind of goes back to what we were just talking about with resisting thoughts. They think that the old thought coming up is like a problem, right? So they're like, oh, I'm trying not to think that thought. That is not how your brain works, right? If you tell your brain, it's like telling, if you like tell a four-year-old, like make sure there are no dogs in here, it has to run around looking for dogs right. the whole time <laughs> to make sure there's no dogs, right? So you can't try to not think a thought. Mm-hmm. Then all you're doing is constantly thinking it to see if you're thinking it yet. Yeah. So when people kind of, I, I think the biggest place people get like off track with thought work is that they're like, okay, I'm thinking this new thought. I feel all pumped. It felt good in that two seconds. This coaching call is over. <laughs> and, then, and then like the old thought comes back and they're like, oh my God. Like the metaphor I use sometimes is like, what you want to do is, let's say you're like on a date and like your ex-boyfriend comes into the bar <laughs> Right. And what we either are used to doing is we like run over and make out with our ex or we like freak out and throw chairs at him as opposed to like he can, he or she can come in and sit at the bar and it's fine. You don't have to interact with them. You like focus on your new thought, your new date. Exactly. That's such a great metaphor. Well, and I, this actually, the answer to your question, I wonder if it's exactly what we've been talking about, but you point out, you like to point out that there's a there's a disconnect between women actually taking action. Like they say that they want something, they'll make all these goals and they'll fist pump at the beginning of the year or or whatever, follow all the right people on social media. There's a disconnect between actually taking act, you know, from that place to actually taking action. So what do you think it is that's keeping them stuck? Yeah, I think this is fascinating because I actually think there's like two different kinds of problems. Because I think about this a lot because the teacher that I, you know, Brooke Castillo is my teacher and the teacher I learned from, she focuses a lot on like massive action and goal setting and all that is super important. I happen to work with and specialize in like pretty high achieving perfectionist women and they actually need a totally different approach. So it sort of depends on your problem. If you are not taking any action, then the problem is that you have thoughts that are getting in your way. Mm -hmm. Right. So you like think that you want to go to yoga once a day or get a promotion or whatever it is, but you don't have the thoughts that will actually create that action and result for you. In fact, you probably have thoughts that you like can't do it or it'll be too hard or you've never been able to do it before or whatever else. So the like simple answer is always your thoughts are in your way. Mm-hmm. Right. If you have a goal and you're not doing it, it's because you're, you don't have the thought that produces the feeling that would make you take that action. You have a thought that produces a feeling of sitting on your, of whatever, and the action of sitting on your couch. Mm -hmm. But I think that one of the, so sometimes it's that you are not able to take any action because of your thoughts. If you're a perfectionist, it's that it's all a fantasy. Like you are just using goal setting and making elaborate plans that you know you'll never achieve actually as a way of like, um, I call it or where I was trying to call it buffering, but it's like drinking or eating or smoking, anything you do to like numb yourself out. Mm-hmm. I think perfectionists use elaborate, complicated goal setting that way. To make them feel some relief, like they're actually doing something. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. They like sit around and come up with like a color-coded 17-piece gym schedule. Yeah. Oh my but God. But they know that is secretly that they're- <laughs> Yeah, but they know secretly Planning they're never going to do it. Yeah, but they know secretly they're never going to do it. And but it's like uh, it's like this momentary relief from the self criticism, yeah. where they can pretend that they're going to do this stuff, and then they think they'll feel better about themselves. And we have it exactly opposite. You have to love yourself first, then you'll go to the gym or not. It doesn't really matter, really. Yeah. 
but you're never going to get there through the self-criticism. True. And, and actually my problem has always been that I actually do the thing, but I, for some weird reason, not all the time, but especially my former self, I used to get more out of the actual planning than doing the thing. Totally. Cause you imagined that when you did it, it would feel so amazing. Then when you actually did it, it didn't change everything because you were still a human. Right. It was just like working out. But yeah, but it's like the <laughs> fantasy of like, what would finally make me feel good about myself and happy? Oh, if I, I bet if I were the kind of person who did 17 color coded gym activities, I would feel amazing about myself. Yeah. So that's like the only, you're only allowing yourself to have the thoughts that feel amazing, mm-hmm. like in the pretend stage. And then when you do it, you're like, shit, I'm still human and I still get irritated. That's not what I thought was going to happen. It's so funny because I felt like the same thing happened when I wrote probably both of my books. And now I'm about to write my third one. And now I just realize like, this is, this is how it works. I feel so accomplished having planned the whole thing out. And I do think that there is a sense of relief because I'm not the type of person that like crams or anything like that. I am in it for the long game. And, Mm -hmm. and then when I actually do it, I'm like, okay, that's done. But for some reason, it's the planning out. I feel more relief from that than actually doing the thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think there's in some way that's, I mean, I don't know about relief, but I do think what feels good is when we believe in something. Yeah. And and because the belief has to come before the result, Mm -hmm. that's always the case. So like the part, so like I made a million dollars in my business last year. And the part that was exciting was not when the millionth dollar came in. The part that was exciting was when I transitioned from not believing it was going to happen to believing it was going to yeah. happen. Like that's the part that felt amazing. By the time it happened, that was like four months after right. the belief. And so I was like, yeah, of course. So I thought that money was already there. Isn't that right? so amazing? I, I truly believe that is energy. I feel like what that is, that's energy. Yeah. I just think it's that like all we ever want is a feeling, yeah. but the like tragedy of human life is you have to have the feeling first before you can get the thing. It goes back to that whole whole personal development question of, and I don't know if you believe this too, but I truly believe that it's really not the thing that we're after. Like for you, it's not the million dollars. It's it's the experience that you're going to get when you get there. And it sounds like you got that beforehand. Just same with me with writing the book. You have to get it beforehand. That's the thing. There's no way to get it without the feeling. Mm Mm-hmm. You have to have, because you have to believe it's possible. I believe you have to believe it's possible in order to create it. Yes, you do. And, and like the journey is always going to feel like the destination. The destination is always going to feel like the journey. I always say that backwards. Well, and the destination is always going to feel like the journey. And don't you feel like the people who like, let's take running a marathon as an example, or, you know, it can be like making a million dollars or writing the book or whatever. If you're in that place, even when, even if you plan it out, but if you're thinking, how the fuck am I ever going to get? to do this? Like with my job and my kids, how am I going to fit in the training with, you know, how am I going to get all these clients to make a million dollars? Like that's, that's a no. Like it's not going to happen. Yeah. It's not that planning is magic. I believe the reason it feels good to plan to you is not because you made a plan. It's because that's when you're fully in and experiencing the belief that you're going to write the book. Uh Uh-huh. That it's actually possible. Yeah. Perfectionists make plans all the time that feel terrible. True. I don't think planning is what's magic. It's your thought about it. For you, it's magic because you, when you make your plan, you believe you're going to do it, just like with the exercise. So that's what feels good. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, look at me having a light bulb moment. Cara Lowenthal. Lothiel. <laughs> Lowenthal. I'm taking back that light bulb. Lowenthal. <laughs> Shit. Oh, my gosh. Okay. This is so, so, so interesting. So we had a conversation offline and we were talking about the, uh, episode I did with Melissa Toller talking about diet culture and body image and the fitness industry and weight loss and that whole enchilada. 
And I know you have, you have more, a little bit more to say on it. I know we've touched on it a little bit with the latter thoughts and such, but do you have any other takeaways that you would like to mention about that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that one, there's sort of two big issues that I don't think that even people who are doing self-development really kind of think about. And one is what you were just saying, which is like, why do we ever want something? Because of how we think we'll feel when we get it. Yeah. Right. And that is a hundred percent true when it comes to anything you want to have different about your body. Right. And what we don't understand is that the feeling we anticipate having would not be caused by the changed body part. It would be caused by the thought we would have then, that we imagine we would have. So if I think that I want to lose weight and I say, well, I just want to lose weight so I feel more confident. Mm -hmm. The reason that I predict I will feel confident is that I believe that if I weighed less, I would be thinking I look amazing. Right. Right? But it's a total lie because the destination always feels like the journey. If what you have done is train your brain to look for your physical flaws and to tell you that you have to change them to feel good, there is no fucking way that you are getting to any weight on the scale and your brain is going to magically be like, now I've had a transformation and I tell you, you look amazing. Mm -hmm. Right? Like that is not what happens. And what you see, it's so fascinating because I don't coach or teach weight loss. I'm a body positive coach, but I'm surrounded by weight loss coaches because the school I went to trains a lot of them. They're all my dear friends. Uh Um, but what, I, what you see a lot is like people, okay, they do lose the weight and then they start drinking yeah. <laughs> or they start shopping mm-hmm. or they're like, oh, that wasn't enough. I need to lose more or I need to get plastic surgery. Or, I need to whatever. They still have negative self-talk. Exactly. Because of that. That's why, right? They start drinking or they want to get plastic surgery or whatever it is because their thought was when I hit that number, I'm not, all of a sudden feel totally differently about myself. And it didn't happen mm-hmm. because they've been thinking the thought all along that there's a problem. I'm super curious and this, and then we're going to wrap it up, but I want to ask this, like what, what I always like to hear people's story as to how did you get to personal development? Like, did you come out of the womb evolved or, or what, what happened? So I'm curious, did you, when you started your coach training, had you done any work before or like, was that concept that you just talked about, was that mind blowing for you or take us through that moment? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I had, I've always been interested in like psychology and development and self-help stuff. So I had worked with a, you know, I'd had coaches before and before I found this form of the work. But um, it actually, yes, like my weight and body stuff was my entry point into like making it my life's work because I actually, at the same time I was learning kind of thought work, I also was doing a bunch of kind of body positive anti-diet work. I was in a coaching program as a, as a client, as a student. And I was like, holy shit, when you put these things together, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. The only reason I want anything is how I think I'm going to feel. So I only want weight loss because society has been telling me for 35 years that if I lost weight, I would be allowed to feel, I would get all these things that I think would make me feel differently. But if I can just change my thoughts and feelings now, I don't have to change my body at all. And if I do change my body without changing my thoughts and feelings, it's not going to help anyway. So to me, it was like, and what I see a lot of, and I have to really watch with my clients, is that they want to like do the thought work or love themselves instrumentally so that they'll finally quote unquote take care of themselves Oh, or like quote unquote lose weight or whatever. Right. They like want to love themselves. Then they can like lose the weight the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, but why do you want to lose it? I'm not telling anyone in the world they should or shouldn't try to lose weight, but you have to understand why you're doing it. And that programming in particular, what I find is like romantic life stuff and body image stuff. 
Not surprisingly, because women are socialized to believe that their main value and accomplishments in life are how they look. Yeah. And particularly, and if men like them. Yes. Right? right. And so like that shit goes so deep. Mm-hmm. It takes so much work to undo it. And like two weeks of love in yourself, <laughs> like it's not gonna. <laughs> Some Pinterest memes. Yeah. It doesn't solve it. No. And you really like when you dig really deep, it's like, always that you want this thing because you think that then you'll finally feel good enough and you have to feel good enough first. Yes. So true. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I just, and you know, what's funny is you are so stunning. I, you are like the only person I don't mind seeing your ads come through on Instagram. <laughs> I always like them. <laughs> well, this is what's so fascinating, right? For years when I was in diet culture, I believed that I couldn't be a coach because I was fat and who would hire a fat life coach? Right. Because mm-hmm. obviously, if I had my life together and understood the world or whatever, like, yeah. right, I would be thin. And what's so like poetic and beautiful to me is that, in fact, now my body and being a fat coach, which is pretty rare, is like one of the most powerful things about me because it shows how much I walk my talk. Exactly. Right. And it is like such a signal to everyone that you truly can be do whatever you want. That's only your own thoughts holding you back. So this thing that I thought was going to prevent me from having my dream is like actually been one of the biggest catalysts for my success. I believe that a hundred percent because you and I have never met in person, but when I see you, the way you show up online, I mean, if, if you're faking it, like fucking Meryl Streep to you, like <laughs> <laughs> you can't, you can't fake it, right? Yeah, like you cannot no. fake authentic confidence. It does come through. And that's why I like, I see so many starting out coaches and stuff looking at me and I think, and they're like, Oh, like, but maybe it's because she went to a fancy school or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, none of that shit. You did the work. It's truly just that I did the work enough to actually love myself. And you can't fake that. And it comes through. So much so. And I think that's one of the reasons that people have stuck around on this podcast is because I'm always really transparent about not just things that have happened, but things that I've I've walked through myself and continue to walk through. And I don't ever pretend, you know, that I'm up here on this pedestal and y'all are down there and I have all the answers and- Right. It's a light. I know it's so cliche in personal development, but this is lifelong work. We never stop. There's always the next level. Yeah. I've been thinking about it as like a lifestyle recently. Like I'm in the thought work lifestyle. (laughs) You're going to be in, what are they called? An influencer. Yeah. It's like, it's not a diet. (laughs) It's not a six week program. It's a lifestyle. We're doing this forever. (laughs) It surely is. It surely is. Well, everyone go now and subscribe to Kara's Unfuck Your Brain podcast on iTunes and all of the places and unfuckyourbrain.com. It's spelled a little bit differently. It's, it's, it's. Oh, actually good news. You can you can spell it however you want because we bought the new you domain. Did? Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <Thank> you. <laughs> spell it the right way. Use all the, yes, the dirty words. So go to unfuckyourbrain.com, read everything that Kara has ever written and follow her on all of the social media platforms. Thank you so much for being here. It's been such a blast. I'm so glad we got to chat. I finally, I'm so glad that we finally got to chat too. And everyone, I always do this and I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much for being here. I know how valuable your time is and the fact that you spend it with me and my guests means the absolute world to me. So until next time, ass kickers, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye.